This podcast is sponsored by Nice Actimize. Nice Actimize helps you assess risks, stay compliant with ever-changing regulations, and keep a step ahead of financial crime. Detect, prevent, and investigate money laundering, fraud, and compliance violations with a holistic view of risk across your organization. Learn more at niceactimize.com. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. The most wonderful time of the year is also a favorite season for financial criminals. The holidays come with increased opportunities for card and digital payments fraud, as well as wire fraud, charity scams, elder abuse, and other crimes. This makes real-time fraud detection and prevention a gift that keeps on giving. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor for CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Andrew Corbett, Solutions Consultant for Nice Actimize, takes us through his biggest fraud concerns, the need for real-time fraud detection, fraud prevention best practices, and more. So first of all, why does fraud increase during the holidays? I always think of fraud as a fraud triangle, first of all, right? So fraud is going to be made up of three things. It's going to be made up of access, opportunity, and then incentive, right? And we can't control anything about incentive, especially during COVID-19. You got a lot of first-time frauds. There's a lot of desperation. But if you can control access, you limit the window of opportunity. And the reason why it happens more in the holidays is there's just more access. It's easier to get to people. This is a great time of year to answer unsolicited emails for donations, which really disproportionately affects older people. There's like a really interesting AARP study I read the other day where it's close to 50% of their members get increased fraud attacks or fraud attempts during the holiday season. So, you know, elder abuse is a massive thing that uh, we're still trying to determine the actual fallout of from COVID-19. Because if you think about the mechanics of the virus, you have all these people in their 80s and 90s whose family members didn't want to be around them, didn't want to get them sick in the early days of COVID-19. So they were left alone and they had home phones and it was a recipe for disaster. And we really don't know how much money went away. But I would say it's there's more opportunity to have access to people, whether it's through email or phone. It's easier to get in front of somebody, get their attention with that holiday you know, insignia. So what types of fraud are most prevalent during this time? The two that we see that are increased during the holiday season are phishing attacks and then also fake charity scams. And I'll break down both of them. So phishing, like email phishing, where you're receiving an email and it looks legit, but what they're actually doing is it's a receptacle for your information. They want to take that information and they want to get into your account and they want to begin employing a couple fraud strategies. And we'll discuss what those are in a minute. But the big thing with phishing is like every other thing involved with digital fraud, it's transformed over the last 18 months. Gone are the days of getting an email where it's dear sir or madam. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, this is not to me. Now they have email automation where it looks like it's somebody who knows you. It's really easy to Photoshop a logo for a charity that looks legitimate. It's really easy to craft a story that you think is going to affect a certain group of people, get that group of people's information and do a mass email campaign. And that's really how phishing has changed. Some of the technology, right? Some of the email automations made it better. But the other thing that's made it better too is they're just employing better writing, better marketing. It's like any other business. You know what? I always tell my customers, fraudsters are having these meetings too. <laughs> it might not be on Zoom or Teams. I don't know. But 
it's one of those industries where there's going to be investment and there's going to be invention on both sides of the aisle at all times. That's what makes it exciting to work in, but also is what makes it very important to have solid fundamentals and protect your customers. So what else in addition to phishing do uh, credit unions and members have to watch out for? I would say charity scams. And you know, this one, we can kind of transition a little bit to business customers too, because I know there are credit unions that have business customers as well, business members. The biggest thing is either for an individual or for business, you've got these charities, they're trying to build ACH floats. So what they do is they send you a fake invoice, they communicate to the credit union that, oh, this person owes me this money. And they repeat that process a few times until the credit union goes, well, they don't owe you any of this. And the second that first transaction is denied, they take the rest out and they transfer it into a wire or increasingly what we're seeing now is a P2P transaction. Whatever can be real time and can be really, really hard to reverse or if it's like Zelle, impossible to reverse. And the mechanics of it are very similar. It's account takeover followed by building a float with ACH or check and then busting out with a real-time payment. And that's, you know, anybody in the industry has seen that quite a bit. What makes it special for the holidays is people are much more inclined to be willing participants in these fraud schemes because it comes from a good place. You know, some of these charities have amazing branding, have amazing messages. They should be charities that actually exist. Some of them do, which is really insidious. They just kind of make a slight change to it. And this is a time of year where people want to give back. And fraudsters know that, and they're taking advantage of it. Any other threats that uh, credit unions should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, you're going to see a giant increase in credit card fraud for some of the same reasons, right? This one's kind of funny, though, because credit card fraud to me is one of those where incentive is something we should have a bigger conversation about because sometimes you just have fraudsters. It's like more low level, I would say not as advanced fraud being committed, and they're just trying to buy things with credit cards. They just want stuff. Right. This is a time of year where window shopping and people are looking at things and saying, you know what? I really want that. I don't care how I get it. <laughs> so have strong fundamentals, have the ability to understand location. And when it comes to card purchases, I was talking to a credit union a few months ago and 30 of their members made transactions from the same parking lot in Pittsburgh and they are not in the state of Pennsylvania. I have a solution that can tell you that. How much money do credit unions and business members and consumer members stand to lose? What have you seen out there? I'm sure you've seen the worst. Yeah. I mean, there's different types of fraud, right? So if you have the low level credit card fraud, it's pretty cut and dry that around a couple thousand dollars, there's going to be some kind of discrepancy or something found. And then, you know, that will be halted. But for like those charity scams, hundreds of thousands of dollars especially if there are business members or business customers, like it's really bad. Also, it's going to be very much about what is that customer's, or what is that member's average transaction amounts to? Because they do go after high net worth individuals. So if you're a credit union and you have high net worth people, know that those credit card scams, those fake charities are really big for high net worth people around this time of year. Those numbers can get really high too, even if it's just a, you know, a private number. Are there ways to detect this fraud in real time? Yeah, absolutely. So going back to the fraud triangle, can you control access? Do you understand when somebody's accessing the account that shouldn't be? And then do you have the ability to communicate that to the digital banking provider, whoever you're using, right? Because the thing with account takeover is the three pillars of understanding it are geolocation, which is where are you logging in from? Why is that strange? Then we've got device ID, which is what are you using to log in with? Why is that strange? And then you've got account detail changes. What are you doing after you get into the account? And why is that strange? 
And if you have a solution that can answer all three of those in real time, like, yeah, you're in a parking lot in Pittsburgh and you've never been a login in the state of Pennsylvania before, and you're making credit card transactions that average over $300 each, and you've never made so many transactions in the same day. And then, you know, you're logging in from a uh, Android phone and you've been using an iPhone on our records for the last three years. You have all those questions answered and you can do that in real time. You can actually put a stop to that login. You can send an interdiction. You can send a step up authentication challenge. Hey, we're going to challenge you. Do you want to even get into the account? And if you can get them at the non-monetary side, then you don't have to worry about the monetary. And that's really how we're winning in real time these days. How prevalent are these incidents of fraud in credit unions? I mean, is it, say, 50% of all credit unions experience this or is it 100%? It's omnipresent, especially this time of year. You know, the human condition does not change uh, on the West Coast or the East Coast or in the Midwest. You're going to have people that break down into the group of, you know, people who are members who are not doing anything wrong and then fraudsters. That's going to be everywhere. And the biggest change with digital too is that it doesn't matter if I'm not in your neck of the woods. A lot of the fraud our credit unions that we talk to see come from non-extradition countries. You've got guys in hotel rooms on uh, Android tablets logging in and duplicating iPhones. You know, there's no way to be like, oh, well, that doesn't happen in our town. It's not coming from your town. It's coming from 3,000 miles and two oceans away. We hear a lot about ransomware. How do you see the ransomware threat evolving in the future? Ransomware has evolved already quite a bit. And what's interesting about COVID-19 is that 2020, we saw the advent of a lot of new typologies, right? Ransomware being one. Not necessarily that ransomware was new, but we saw some different variations of it. And then what we saw in 2021 was instead of innovation, it was more about evolution. It's a punch-counterpunch industry, right? So they hit us, we hit them back. They kind of bob and weave a little bit and then give us something. And I think the way that it will continue to grow is through that same song and dance. I think that we are going to get really good at identifying the main avenues of that ransomware, and then they're going to just switch to different ones. It won't go away. It's going to continue to be something that you have to have strong fundamentals to deal with. And that's really how the entire industry works. You know, at the end of the day, we're all living in our forts and you're only as good as the walls you have built around you. Do you have any, any best practices that you could offer to help credit unions prevent these threats that you've been talking about? Absolutely. The first thing is communication, and it goes in two different ways. Your solutions have to communicate with one another, right? So don't have silos. Don't have a situation where you're like, oh, we knew there was fraud, but we didn't know there was money laundering. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you need a unified case manager. Those need to both communicate. And then the second piece of it is, you know, obviously, team members need to communicate. So even if I am a fraud analyst and I'll never work a money laundering case, if the person I'm looking at has money laundering activity on their account, I should be able to see that in the customer profile. That might lead to me going, okay, well, how are they getting this money that they're laundering? <laughs> so having that ability to communicate is really important. Having the ability to configure is the second thing that I always say. So have the agency to see a pattern, detect it in your solution, and then make a rule to prevent it in the future. And make sure that that's not something that your vendor is saying, oh, yeah, no, we'll get back to you in a month on this. Have it same day. That's really important because fraud is about pivoting. How quickly can we pivot when we find new information? Could you walk me through an example of how uh, a financial institution was able to detect and prevent uh, a, an incident of fraud or, or oh, a yeah. threat? We have a customer in New England who uh, stopped a $1.6 million wire. And they did that by having a rule that said, if any wires come through that are more than a million dollars, even if it's from the Queen of England, we want to look at them and personally accept them. 
And they found a wire that they would not have found otherwise based on that rule, which again, go back to agency, go back to the fact that in their specific customer base, they had people sending wires of that amount and they weren't comfortable with it. So they needed to pivot, they needed to make a change. And as a result, they were able to take a look at a wire. They were able to understand the non-monetary side of it, see that there was some account takeover at play. And they were taking advantage of a customer that sad, you know, large transaction amounts and trying to kind of float through the radar by not staying within the average, but not too many standard deviations above the average with that wire transaction. And our solution was able to, you know, prevent it. I mean, the the thing of it is have all the answers to the test, and the test is easy. So as you look beyond the holidays and into next year, what emerging fraud trends concerned you the most? Well, the first thing is. The amount of time it takes many institutions to like actually get through an investigation, get through an alert, get through all those administrative processes is really scary. Because if you're taking an hour and a half, two hours to understand something, I can float an ACH, build a float, transfer out the wire. And that's why I've designed that fraud typology, right? If I'm a fraudster, that's why I have my workflow, because I know I can get in and out before you're even really fully cognizant of everything that's going on. So the first thing is that there are a lot of fraud typologies that solely exist because credit unions are slow. They don't have to be. It's just about communication. Is your solution communicating and is your team communicating? It's about speed to understanding. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I would say too is that we're seeing a lot of really interesting things on the device duplication front. We can run into situations where a phone looks like your phone, even though it's an Android tablet. And the VPN looks like your IP address, even though you don't use VPNs. So we're seeing some really interesting stuff there. That comes down to making sure that your opponent has to be perfect to beat you. Because if they can get 99% of my phone right, but 1% of it wrong, I want a solution that's going to tell me, hey, they got 1% of that's wrong. This is suspicious. Take a look at it. That's the only way you can fight device duplication. And you mentioned that it's kind of this punch, counterpunch, back and forth between financial institutions and fraudsters. How can credit unions keep pace with all the changing methods of fraud and the new frauds that are emerging and and all that? Well, to continue the analogy, you got to see the punches coming first, right? You got to understand and be able to report on the information, be able to detect patterns, and then have the agency to make those pivots, make rule changes, right? That's really big. I talk to institutions and sometimes they're saying, we don't even really know where our fraud is coming from. All right, well, that's the first thing we need to solve. You need to have the ability to get into the reporting tools because it's I've never run into a situation where the investigators are the problem, right? There's so many great investigators in our industry. But if I'm asking you to do a report on a television show and you only see episodes six and nine, and I want the whole first season, you're not going to be able to do it. And that's what these people are put in the position of doing sometimes. So give me all my information as an analyst. That's one of the first things that I I always want to see. And then I think the other thing that can lead to having a hard time being able to evolve is already being behind in the first place. So if you've got giant holes in your institution, if you've got giant gaps, plug them first. Get the fundamentals right. Have a unified case manager. Have solution communicating. Have the ability to make changes. And then you can worry about the future. You know, if the present and the past are already a big issue, get those fixed first. Do you have any other advice for credit unions about how to protect themselves and their members? Understand behavior. Really prioritize understanding behavior above all other things. We're in a situation now where the best way that we can understand fraud is by understanding anomalous behavior. Fraud is anomalous. So it's not about having a hard and fast rule or, oh, it works for this bank or this is the industry standard. It's about saying, no, what works for you? 
individual member? And then also, what is our average member doing? Let's compare both of those and understand if we should really see risk in this situation. That's the biggest change. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. Nice Actimize helps you assess risks, stay compliant with ever-changing regulations, and keep a step ahead of financial crime. Learn more at niceactimize.com.